Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to Citywide Blackout, bringing you the best creators from around the world. Now, the life story of U.S. Air Force veteran Richard Ernest Evans is certainly filled with amazing tales, like the time he became the like the time he became the B-17 Flying Fortress pilot for Field Marshal Bernard L. Montgomery, commander of the 8th British Army. And that's just one of several stories compiled and self-published by his daughter, Barbara Kinnear. In this episode, Kinnear talks about her father's time with the Air Force and all the things she learned through his stories. We look at the fire that claimed their home and, she thought at the time, the entire collection her father had worked on, only to make a welcome discovery later. She shares the experience of growing up in the armed forces and the perspective on her father's service through a child's eyes. And this week, folks, we are talking all about family history. The recently released book, Richard Eager, a pilot story from Tennessee Eagle Scouts to General Montgomery's Flying Fortress. That's a great title, by the way. That's a that's a really like amazing title. Author Barbara Kinnear joins me to talk all about this amazing story of her own father's life. Barbara, welcome to the show. It is so cool to have you here. Thank you very much, Max. It is really a pleasure being here on your show, and I'm very grateful. I appreciate it very, very much. You're um, looking into this, and I'm looking forward to talking to your audience about it as well. All right, all right. So now this story is all about your father, who served in World War II with the U.S. Air Force. Truly amazing story. At some point, he started to chronicle his life, you know, both before during and after the war. And sadly, he passed away in 2006 prior to the story being published. And then you came into the picture, and here we are today, completed book. What happened that made you want to sort of pick up where he left off and get this book finished? Well, we started as a family working with him. He, he wrote the book between 1990 and 1993, and he was always telling um, amazing stories um, uh, about the war, about the men and the women he met, and about Blind the B-17, and his family, and his family's from, from Knoxville, Tennessee. There's a whole bunch of them there right now. So we worked with him, and he was an, uh, he is an amazing, he was, he is, an amazing author. Uh, he's never done this before. He did a tremendous amount of um, fact-checking. So those were the days when you had to find an agent or you'd have to find a pub publisher. I mean, we're talking 1990 to 1993, 94. And he tried. He wrote great outlines, sending them off to publishers and, um, you know, would get the not interested letters back. And then he got older and uh, he kind of gave up. Um, and our life was the usual raising a child and my, you know, family raised, you know, just usual family matters. So when he passed away in 2006, I said, I'm going to get this. And so did family members. We're going to um, publish this book, but it had to be finished. And so I gathered up his, I always had his best, best chapters, almost finished most of them because he would send them out to family and say, what do you think of this? And there'd be discussion and back and forth, that sort of thing. We had, a, I had the best chapters. And in 2008, we lost our home in the T-Fire which is a, it was a wildfire in Santa Barbara. We lost everything, uh, everything, including, of course, my father's best chapters. So I was in shock, not only for the loss of the home, um, nobody was hurt. Well, we, we did lose our pets because uh, we were not in town. So how, do, how what was I going to do? 
Um, within two months, my stepmother said, come get all these boxes. Your father, uh, they're, they're yours father's. I'm clearing out the storage. And I went down with my daughter and we grabbed all the boxes. And in those boxes were drafts, drafts and drafts and all kinds of, you know, finishing points, 75% or whatever. Also iconic photographs that I had never seen before. Many family things we had seen. Also original records right from that he'd held with him. I don't see how he traveled through the war holding on to some of these records, but he, he managed to do that. So that was the beginning of being able to figure it out. And uh, so we did. Um, but all the facts had to be checked because he wrote this, he wrote his book 50 years after the war, war, basically. And then these drafts were in different forms of being finished. It took over 10 years to do it because, you know, life goes on and you don't have every day writing a book. So I, I hope is that that tells you. So it was a, quite a delay between when he wrote it and then we got it out uh, and then we were able to finish it up last year and it went on you know went live on December sorry September 12th um, of course you always say when it goes on Amazon it goes live um, and then it's we go of course we have the hardcover the soft cover and now it's an ebook so now it's all about telling people about it so they will buy it <laughs> and then, Reason why we want everybody to buy it is because all proceeds, uh, every single penny, will go to the Air Force Aid Society for a scholarship in my father's name. So, probably told you too much. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And I think that the story of making the story could be its own book because that is, you know, unfortunately tragic that you lost your home. And you thought, okay, my dad's story is gone forever. And then you hear, no, it's still there in the storage locker. So that's yeah. that, that's really yeah. amazing that you're able to, to uh, recover it. Um, what was needed to complete the book? As you mentioned, there are all these different drafts, but nothing finished. Well, there were things that popped up. For example, when we went to the Imperial War Museum in London, we knew that part of the book is the story of General Montgomery and my father being ordered to fly General Montgomery in American B-17, ordered by his boss, um, and, including uh, General Eisenhower. So part of the part of the book is, well, why was my father chosen to do this? And why did General Montgomery of England, the head of the Eighth Army, want American B-17 with an American pilot, with an American crew, paid for, by the way, the American taxpayer? So my husband and I went to the Ameri uh, Imperial War Museum. So this is one of the questions in the book that we had to find out before we could even get close to publishing. And that was, it was very exciting. We went to the Imperial War Museum. We went to the photographic archives because anything that had a picture of General Montgomery about in that time period would also have a picture of my father, right? Wrong. There was another Evans that was a pilot of General Montgomery's Flying Fortress and I had to find that Evans because there was confusion. My father flew Monty and this other Evans flew Monty. So that was that took a long time to figure that out. And I felt like I can't publish this book till I find this other Evans. And I found him. I found his obituary. And in the obituary was um, he, he was the pilot for General Montgomery. I found the family. 
I asked them if I, if he is if their father had written anything of, and they said yes. They sent me the unpublished memoirs of the first Evans, and I was able to pull him into the book and into the chronology. And he was the first Evans, and it it matched up perfectly the dates and everything. So um, that that was one of the things that took a while to make why it took over ten years. And of course, the other is working with an editor. Um, a wonderful um, family members were editors as well, but I had a wonderful line editor who was also my research um, man, uh, PhD um, professor in a, a small college. And he was fabulous in making sure the dots were connected. And he would say, Bobby, your father's talking about, so you know, it's nice, this pilot, why were they best friends? And so I had to connect the dots and pull the chapters, tighten up the chapters. And that took a long time. You know, also the research, uh, all, you know, the Air Force archives are full of research. I mean, full of things you can research. And um, that took a long time. So that's why it took over 10 years. And there were times when you just had to say, I need a break. I got to think about this. You know, that happens too. Oh, exactly. And I love the detective work you did, tracking down this other Evans family and then reaching out to them and saying, hey, can I put this person in the book? And then going through the timelines and the chronology. It must have felt good to have this done, though, after all that work and time. It was a fabulous feeling. Uh, the other hard part, of course, as you already know, is that you have to find a good designer and you have to agree with the designer and you've got to be careful. Also, the editors um, have to be sure you don't lose the voice of the author because they can edit the voice out. Uh, so and the design work, of course, choosing the, choosing the typesetting, you know, and then learning about publishing a book. Who do you go to? You know, Ingram Spark, KDP, all those other wonderful publishers that are out there. Who do you go to? Then you have to learn about paper. <laughs> so that also it was part of the, the, the length of time. Hmm. Now, did the editorial process lead to any major changes in the story, or is it more of a filling in the blanks? There were, there were a couple of changes, minimal. Um, once I had my father's uh, flight records, I knew where he was flying. And uh, there was just there were just a couple of things where he had a date, but I was able to kind of hone in on a date that was was more secure in a sense because I actually had his flight record in front of me. Um, that was it. Another one where there was a loss of um, why. Uh, let's see, there was a loss of why this man who dad mentioned in the end of the book was his best friend. So that portion of why he was a best friend had been lost in the drafts. And I had to go back and um, write, write that in a little bit of why they were best friends. Mm -hmm. So I had that, I had this man's, this, this wonderful cadets pictures. I had his whole story. I had how he died, which was amazing. He died in a B-29 over Tokyo Bay my father's best friend so but yes I there were a couple little pieces where you just had to change a few paragraphs here and there and then it would it would link up again mm -hmm. 
All right. I want to ask about about the cover for this because the cover is so cool. It's all these different pictures of your dad. Um, how did you choose which pictures to use? Because I'm sure you must have had a bunch of them. Did have a bunch of them or do do have a bunch of them. But we had to find something that um, or I needed to. Yeah, we needed to find something that would attract, of course, the attention of of our, of all those readers out there. You know, why would they want to buy the book? But and a lot of people who are, are interested in the history of the World War II and of England's part and Americans' part would recognize immediately General Montgomery. Um, the cover <laughs> that was a General Montgomery. Uh, that is a picture of General Montgomery and the plane he flew in, the Teresa Lita, uh, which was a B-17E, an early B-17, and. Uh, Everybody knows what General Montgomery, who, you know, who he looks, what he looks like, you know, and, and they all of those generals had that little horse whip, you know, that they carry along. So and it was a great picture. In fact, if you see pictures of General Montgomery in history, there aren't a lot of him smiling. And so we thought that was really, really a good picture to put put on to catch the attention of whomever would be interested in this war story. And it's also a love story with family and. Um, Growing up in Tennessee uh, in an era that we don't know very much about, or mm-hmm. our parents and our grandparents do, of course, but um, younger younger people don't. Mm-hmm. Now, in the process of writing this book, did you come across any stories about your dad that you didn't know about before? No, because um, we've been working with him ever since he started writing it, so I was very, very aware. There are some extra stories when I got hold of his floppy disk and things like that. Because that's what they had in between 1990 and 1993. I, I was able to get a couple of them deciphered, which was a small miracle. And there were some other stories in there, but they're not in the book. And, there's this, and they are interesting, but they're very raw stories. They're just not pulled together. Um, but they might be fun to pull together. They're, they'd be little chapters, um, like flying in a T-33, for example, um, over... Greenland or something like that or or over eastern United States and anyway it's uh but mainly I knew everything in the book that needed to be in the book what would you say are some of your more favorite stories that is a tough one I think one of the favorite ones is uh, dad taking General Montgomery and the brass to Palermo to meet Patton and this is shows you how history can be uh, there could be a problem in history because the things that I read, but said, I read several, two books that, that said that this happened, that the B-17 carrying um, General Montgomery landed and it had a, it was a bad problem and it crashed and, and burned. <laughs> well, that's not true. <laughs> My father in the story, why I like it, it's so favorite, is, is very exciting. Um, General Patton told General Montgomery that this 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 uh, hogged out field is safe for a B seventeen. B seventeen not needs a lot of feet, you know, a little you know runway to uh, land. But these aren't even runways; these are literally hogged out fields, uh, World War II fields. So um, when when Dad gets there, he realizes this field's too short. What am I going to do? I, I'd like to take the general back to where we came from because this is a dangerous field. So he. But there was a really good headwind. Now, a DC-3 
had flown in ahead of them and did over uh, overreach and ran into scrub oak of sorts and did start a fire, did have a fire. So dad could say, okay, this, you know, this is what happened. But he could also, by the smoke of the fire, he could see that it was really good headwind. So long story short, though, when they started to land, the brakes weren't working and they thought they were hit by sabotage. And so he had to do what they call a ground loop, which is go down the runway and so with all the, and you have no way of braking and you accept the control of your engines and you have to loop around so you don't go off the runway. And that is a very, very exciting story. And I love it um, because he is so good about, um, about, you could feel like you're in in the plane when it's having all these pressures of the big turn <clears throat> around and how dangerous it was. And Monty got a little shook up. Uh, so did his, because they were, you know, in the back of the plane. And uh, Monty got very mad at my father because of this. But later on in books, in, in, um, in diaries, Monty said, if it weren't for my pilot, I'd be dead. And so he used to, then he would call dad my pilot. Wow. Jeez. It, it, it really sounds like your father was at the center of a lot of major points during World War II. Um, did he talk a lot about his experience prior to doing the writing? Yes. He would talk to us about the stories. And so that's why, and my brother said, hey, dad, why don't you start writing these down? And that's how it began. And I think this is very unusual. Uh, a lot of folks come back from the wars and they won't, they don't want to say anything. They're glad to be out of it. They're glad to be survivors. They're sometimes guilty for being a survivor as, and so you can't get them to talk about it. And I think more and more now you're getting, you're getting a few, you're getting a few more stories out of World War II, even though most of the veterans are, you know, they're dying. Um, but the stories are still with the families and um, in diaries and things like that. Why do you think your father was so open to talking about this? Was it just that he had a lot of positive experiences? I think he just wanted us to know about the experiences and how much other pe how many other people or how people worked so hard on behalf of the American and the British and other citizens to ward off the Germans and the Italians. And he, and they were interesting stories, uh, but he, he, he wrote them with humility and um, never saying how, what, how, what a great pilot I am. He was always humble about uh, his stories. He met the King, for example, King George the sixth. It's kind of a big and deal. That's, that's kind of a and big that deal. That is a big deal. Oh and that's in, that's in a whole chapter, the King and I, and it's very interesting. Wow, unbelievable. Now, I know this book also includes um, different excerpts of your, of your father's life growing up. What was it like for him back then, especially at that age? They were humble um, in a way, let's see, middle America, Tennessee, Knoxville, um, one high school. And his father was the principal of that high school for almost 50 years. So that was kind of hard being the kid of the principal. He had four other brothers. He had five actually, one died at, at uh, two years old. Um, but he 
he had he it was very he was very grateful for the upbringing that he had and his father very much comes out in this book as in a, a very interesting character as well his my father uh, wrote um, about his father in fact he dedicated the book to his father oh, wow which we which we kept of course of course oh yeah so there are that yeah yeah it's it's because this this whole reason for doing this book is because it's my father's book it's you know it's colonel evans's book mm-hmm. and i i want to ask about 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 names because the book is richard eager but that's not obviously his last name how did he get that nickname that is because he was so very eager in what he would do in life and it probably started when he became an eagle scout uh he that's another interesting story about how he almost didn't become an eagle scout uh he uh but he was a scout in fact i think he was a scout in his heart for his entire life. Uh, he uh, was, as I said, very eager when he was in pilot school. His best friend did name him Eager uh, because he was so gung-ho. And so it's Richard Eager. And his middle name really is Ernest. So it's Richard Ernest Evans. But Eager, he, he kind of liked it later on. And when he was talking, you know, in, in, the, in the chapters, that if he's talking to himself because he's talking about how he's going to fly the plane, uh, maybe there's an emergency going on. He would even call himself now Richard Eager. What are you going to do about this? This is no, this is no movie, that sort of thing. So that's where it came from. He was a gung-ho, um, hardworking pilot. And he, uh, in the very back are a lot of, uh, the chronology is full of excerpts from uh, his superiors with evaluations. I mean, right out of his uh, Air Force um, um, files. I have quotes, you know, of of his officers saying this, you know, this is this fellow's getting doing a good job, basically. And he became a a, a fat, fabulous pilot and um, survived <laughs> to tell the story. Absolutely, absolutely. Any stories here that you feel are important life lessons or morals for for the readers? A part of a many of the stories are about making mistakes truly, and then picking himself back up again and going forward and doubt, you know, like in, and uh, self-doubt in school. Um, for example, he wanted to learn to fly. So, but he was only 15, but he was applying for this class and they were all older men. Um, the national Tennessee national guard said, you know, you take this class in the first 50, the, the best, best scores, We'll get to fly an airplane. We'll learn how to fly and get your license. So he didn't have the confidence to sign up, but he was in the back of the uh, back of the hall and took all the classes. And finally, um, the uh, the uh, teacher said, "You're back there. You're taking the classes. You're handing in homework." So it was just a, that was a a story of lot you know no confidence, and then he pursued and he won. He got a position, and that's how he learned to fly before joining the arm, the Army Air Corps. Wow. What made him want to join? He wanted to fly. He knew the war was coming. Uh, he was born, I think, within a year or so of World War II um, ending. So folks are still thinking war, and the wars, he, he knew the war was coming, and he didn't want to be in the Army. He wanted to fly. And so he did everything he could to go in that direction. 
You know, I'm curious about your father in meeting all these amazing people, these like legendary historical figures. Did he ever brag about that? Did he ever make a big deal about, oh, I met a king, I met the general? Never. He would not brag about it. It was a surprise for him that he was even chosen to uh, fly um, Monty. He never did. No, it was, he was never, you know, he never did. <laughs> and he, he also, but he, he admired all these generals too. He was very, he always felt very comfortable because he admired them so in why they were generals, why they were doing, why were they, why they were the leaders. And, uh, and that comes out in the book as well. Mm -hmm. I want to ask about your own life. Of course, you grew up in, in a military family. I imagine moving around a bunch too. What was that like for you? It was what we were born to in a sense. You didn't know anything different. We did move around every three years. Dad was in the strategic air command. And we had a wonderful life. We did all kinds of things. We water skied, snow skied. Uh, we had a couple of you know generals uh, out there skiing with my parents, like General LeMay, uh, Jimmy Stewart, um, some others. So it was just um, we knew we were um, uh, Air Force brats. We called ourselves Air Force brats. I think what I loved especially were we were on the bases, and sometimes we'd be in a home near the base is these amazing, gorgeous jets flying over and flying over low, like the B-52 or the B-47. Those were, they are magnificent airplanes. And uh, so that was a lot of excitement. It, being in the Air Force was very exciting. I don't think we realized how dangerous it was. Uh, did you ever worry about your dad? That's, we just didn't realize how dangerous it was. We're just yeah. being kids growing up. We just didn't know until you're, you know, you're in high school or you're in junior high, of course. Let's talk about getting this book published. Did you have to go through a lot of publishers before you found one that said, yes, we'll do this? It's self-published. This book is an independently oh. published book. Well, there we go. Yes. <laughs> I didn't even attempt to talk to anybody. I didn't attempt to find an agent nor find a publisher. I realized, you know, I had, I had the help of a, a publisher who, not a big publisher, but just somebody in town that knew how to get the ISBN numbers and things like that. And, you know, just to do these few little things that you have to do. And of course it's all, um, it, it's, you know, with the Cong a Library of Congress and all, but I did not seek a publisher uh, that would hold my hand and, um, you know, It'd probably make it a lot easier. I'm working now with a publicist out of Tennessee, and they found you, for example. So I'm very, very grateful. And they have me writing a lot of lot more articles, uh, which I never. I always thought, okay, the book's done. You know, I can, <laughs> I can relax. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> you have to keep. And that's fun and exciting, though. Um, and especially, but I thoroughly enjoy talking with you, and I look forward to talking to some other people for reviews. Um, a little scary. Yeah, because you always but, uh, wonder, like, okay, will they like it? Will they like it? What are they going to give it? You know. And also, the the book just received in May um, uh, award with independent um, indie. It's what is it called? It's um, no, I just run a ran a blank. Um, independent. Well, it's for independent publishers. It's it's called indie. Anyway. Um, 
and it's got it's it's uh, fine. It's, let's see, it's a silver medal finalist in um, autobiography, biography, and then military. So. Um, wow! Well done! Well done! Yeah. Why just self-publish? Did you did you decide it wasn't worth the work to seek out a publisher? I had read quite a few things, and it said you might be kind of putting a year in of time looking for a publisher, and I just felt like. I didn't have that time anymore. I just would have to do my best, and uh, with a lot, a lot of help. Again, the the, the uh, line editor, uh, the, my the publisher here in town, you know, who did these certain things for me, uh, a, a lovely, a great designer, and we just work, you know. And you read a lot, you know. Part of it is reading and reading and reading, figuring out how it's done. There's so so many books out there now. Um, and you learn by doing it. Exactly. Uh, have you gotten any feedback from other veterans? Yes, they've the one they really like the book, and which makes me happy. Um, I think also it will encourage. There's been some write-ins, you know, reviews. Um, also, some veterans are following the um, the website, and then they will write into that or. Uh, my daughter is fabulous. She's handling Facebook, Instagram, tweets, um, and she wrote, com she did the complete design work for the website. And then she's, yeah, she's just great. And uh, so that's a huge amount of help. That is something that when you're first publishing a book, you don't realize you need to have. And so she's doing a great, great job. And so people will write into Facebook, for example, and make comments that, and they, they will remember something that their uncle did and they'll comment on it. So it's bringing out some interesting um, little pieces of information. Yeah. It could almost be another book, you know, all the different stories that, that you're kind of getting from the readers. That's true. <laughs> you never know. Actually, speaking of which, do you have another book in the works? No, I don't have another book in what? the works. This, this is yeah. a one-off. Oh my god, this is this is yeah, actually a yeah. first because usually yeah. any writer I speak to, there's always, oh yeah, I've got this book and that book, but this is a, a one and done, huh? It's it's a one, but it's not done. Ah, there's that because of the because of the the publicity publicity that you have to continue and support. So folks will get you know, there's a lot of people out there, so they will be interested. And I asked also working on the UK because of General Montgomery. And I've gotten several very lovely reviews from folks in the UK now. So, hmm. um, but in Australia, there's a, a reviewer right now in Australia reviewing the book. So um, I think, uh, but one book is a lot of work. It definitely is. It definitely is. What would you say is the hardest part of handling all the marketing and you've got, uh, like I said, you've got to do the social media, you've got to do the interviews. What's been the toughest part for you? It's expensive. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. It <laughs> certainly is. It's expensive. And also be, just um, because there's so many people out there encouraging them and, and there are so many books out there now. So I think the folks who are interested in being in publishing, publicizing books, um, they have to pick and choose also. Mm -hmm. So you have to meet in the middle. First of all, you have to find them. And then you have to, you know, r jump up and down and get their attention. Exactly. Uh, and, 
<laughs> read this book. Read this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of knocking on your door. Exactly. So that's, that's really a very, very, uh, takes a long time, I think. That's, you just got to keep working on it slowly but surely. Exactly. What would you say is the big takeaway from this book? What do you think the readers are going to get from this in terms of a message? Yeah, it's a message of a time that we don't remember, we, we, we don't have a history of in our own lives. And it's a time where what, why, what kind of families were, were there to encourage or to support their military men and, and women? Um, how did, how did, I think that's important take, but just also the characters that are in the book, a lot of books written on General Montgomery, for example, they, they, you know, that he's, he's arrogant, he terrorizes people, but my father got to know him pretty well because they were in the cockpit together. General Montgomery would come up and fly with him, you know, take a few lessons. And they, they spent many hours, you know, traveling together. And my father very much rec, you know, recognized the leadership and understood Monty. And I think those stories are very, very interesting that the folks will um who read this book will enjoy the the fresh look at general montgomery and 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 other generals that that had met and worked with so um and also one more little thing he really goes into the boeing b17 uh it's magnificent they called it the flying fortress it's a magnificent airplane and he also went into the details of his crew, crew of nine, and how they each work together. And he brought, I have their names, I have their pictures, I my, the description of what they did and how they were. And, and so I think that's very, very interesting to understand the dynamics of how a B-17 is run and how um, everybody had to work well together. They all had their jobs and how um, just expert they were. And dad, that's why we're also doing a, we are doing a scholarship for the Air Force Aid Society, because these are the folks who would make sure your plane could run the next day. They were the ones that packed your parachute. They're the ones that, you know, that supported the missions. So I want people to remember those people in the book. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for speaking to me. It's been a lot of fun talking about this book. I cannot wait to, ch- to check it out. And people at home, if you want to learn more about this, you go to richardeagerbook.com. It's all there. Get your copy, hard copy, paperback, ebook. Go to your local bookstore, order a copy, order seven, and leave some reviews. We talk about this a lot, but that engagement is so crucial. Whatever you do, just do it. And Barbara, thanks again, and uh, definitely looking forward to checking this one out. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you. This is Angelina Singer, author of the Upper World series, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout, the best podcast for independent artists. And that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Barbara for joining me, and check this book out. I guarantee there's a story you will love. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check the show out wherever you find your favorite podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.